Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is May the 2nd, 2018. This is episode 2210 of the Survival Podcast. We're calling it Surviving Divorce, Child Custody Battles in Our Court System. Uh, and this is not like legal advice or anything like that. We always say that if we talk about legal issues, but I mean, I'm not bringing an attorney on. We're not talking about the specific uh, issues of, of individual, like, law or contract. We're going to talk to a guy to name named Nathan Lanier. Sorry about that. Nathan Lanier, who uh, has been through, well, hell, um, really. He's a 39-year-old truck driver currently in Washington State, originally from Arkansas. He moved to Washington at the age of 10. He has two children, a son that's 15 and a daughter that's nine, and a girlfriend and partner now of six years. The son is the uh, child of a previous relationship, and uh, basically he's been drugged back and forth into court over nothing and had his life really uh, ramshackled. Uh, we're going to talk today about how the family court system is maybe better called the family destruction system. Uh, we're also going to talk about some good things, his plans for the future. You know, the good news is that his son is 15, actually 16. It was 15 in the notes, but he's, he's had another birthday since then. So he's only a couple years away from being freed from uh, from this entire thing. Uh, and he has a great relationship as, uh, with his son, and I think his son's going to be spending a lot of time with him in the future as well. Uh, he's been through custody battles and things like that. Today's really a cautionary tale. And what really happens to people in systems like this. And the truth is, it could be far worse. There's people that have had far worse of a time with this type of stuff than Nathan. And I think this is an important interview for young folks out there, especially young men, looking forward and figuring out what you want to do with your life. And um, you know how to make things work in a way that makes sense. And how to be cautioned and guarded against the things that, guarded against the things that can go wrong. And uh, there's this is if you want to talk about a survival topic. You want personal freedom and liberty. The last thing you want is to be able to be pulled into a courtroom at will based on an accusation of something that never happened. And the person that makes the accusation, even when it's found out that it was baseless, has no consequences. Because that's what goes on in things like this. We'll get to all of that and more in just a bit. Before we get Nathan on the line and have a discussion with him about all of these things, let's uh, hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Safe Castle Royal who I call the original Survival Podcast sponsor. How come I call them that? Because they are. The original would be first, right? So Safe Castle was the first company to step up and say, Jack, we love what you're doing and we want to be part of it. And that was all the way back in 2008. I didn't even take them on as a sponsor until 2009 because I didn't have enough listeners that I felt right about taking a sponsor. They've been with us ever since. That means they've been with us like eight and a half years in a podcast sponsor relationship. I don't know of any other podcasts that have sponsors with the type of longevity we have, and I certainly haven't heard of somebody uh, running with the same sponsor for eight years. Uh, they're loyal to us, so you should be loyal to them. They have everything you can think of for your prepping needs. They also have an amazing program called their Discount Buyers Program. People buy that for $29 a year all the time, seven days a week, to get discounts on the stuff that they sell. If you're an MSB member, you get it for free for life. 
That's pretty awesome. It's the only way you could even get a lifetime membership to Safe Castle's discount program now. Uh, check them out at safecastle.com. And, of course, if you are a member of the MSB, make sure you get your free discount membership. Next up today, Harvest Eating with Chef Keith Snow. Chef Keith and I have a, a very common philosophy, even though we have different tastes in food, and that is food is about technique over recipe, understanding what goes together, how to blend it together, and how to make cooking a life skill. He can teach you all of that because he's got great cooking courses. He has got a great YouTube channel. He has got a great podcast. He's got a great shop where you can get his spices and seasonings and things like that. And you can find it all where? Gee, guess where? HarvestEating.com. He also does do a discount for members of the MSB, so check your benefits section if you're a member before you make your purchases from Chef Keith Snow. Next up, let's take a look at a year in history. We're up to the year 124 A.D. We have The Greekling, contributed by David Verne. After negotiating peace with the Parthian Empire, Hadrian, who is the Emperor of Rome, continues to Greece. He joins Illusion Mysteries, one of the several Eastern mystery cults that were more exciting than the old religions of Rome. Hadrian had always loved Greek culture to the point where he earned the nickname the Greekling, and he tried to revive interest in Greek culture. Hadrian broke the tradition of Romans shaving their face, sported a Greek-style beard, which later emperors would emulate. He sponsored philosophy schools and public games, and he improved every town he visited in some way, such as a new aqueduct or improved road system. Hadrian also tried to make Athens the cultural capital of the empire by building many temples and theaters in the city. He also encouraged the two leaders of Athens and Sparta to join the Senate, which furthered Hadrian's goal to create an empire for the people, not just their native Romans or Italians. My take by David Verne. By this point in his reign, Hadrian had done many things with le that a lesser emperor like Domitian wouldn't get away with. He had retreated from the conquered lands, refused to make wars of conquest, ignored many customs, and eventually will turn Italy into just another province. Where Domitian had aggressively pursued reforms, Hadrian did it carefully, making sure to take his time and placate the Senate. Rome had not been neglected during his multi-year tour of the empire, and plenty of building projects and lavish games kept the city happy. Bread and circuses, guys. If you got your bread and circuses, you're good. You also see what the Senate's really concerned about here. They're not concerned about the empire. They're not concerned about the glory of Rome. They're concerned about themselves and their position and their influence. However, it goes down, as long as they have the top positions of influence and wealth and uh, privilege, they don't care. And that's what Hadrian was good at. He was good at keeping them happy by making sure they felt like they were involved and making sure they knew they could continue to reap the benefits of their office. Yeah, how does that relate to today? I, I, I just don't know. Anyway, uh, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main talk of, topic of today's show. I'd like to introduce our special guest at this time, Nathan Lanier. Uh, we're going to talk about the family court system, being in child custody battles, child support, all the grief that comes with it, and some good things, too, about his future plans for his homestead in Arkansas. With that, hey, Nathan, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hi, Jack. Hey, man, <laughs> uh, glad to have you on today. We're going to talk about a few things. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, your experience with the family court system and child custody, uh, what it's like to be a single father fighting for custodial rights, and we're going to talk about some better stuff, too, like some of your plans for the future and homesteading and school bus conversion and things like that. But let's start out with... Uh, 
you're currently living in the Northwest. How, how did you end up there in the first place? Because you're originally from Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. Um, my parents moved out here when I was 10. Um, actually, my mo mom's cousin moved out and kind of talked us into moving out here. And uh, um, my, you know, my dad looking for better work and everything, so we just packed up the the family 68 Dodge Dart and headed up here like the Clampets. And how, how'd that work out? It worked out good. So, yeah, we moved up here. Um, I was actually homeschooled uh, throughout the first part of my life. I didn't go to school till like, middle school um, up here. And uh, so, yeah, we moved up here. ended up getting into the government school, you know, system later and graduated and started a life of my own and everything. And so in all of this, you know, starting as a young kid moving up there, how, how do you end up being a single father fighting for rights to your own son? So, you know, I could get into all the psychology of it and stuff, but that doesn't really matter. But um, basically I ended up getting into just kind of a casual relationship um, with someone I had worked with, and uh, she ended up getting pregnant. As a result of that, um, we weren't, we weren't together. We weren't, there was no plans to be together. Um, so that's basically how that happened. And then, uh, so I, I knew she had gotten pregnant and then she went ahead and had the baby and didn't inform me till he was 10 days old. So you weren't sure whether she had decided to keep the child or have an abortion. You didn't know which way that went. I knew she had decided to keep him, and I and I told her I said, you know, please keep me posted on everything that happens. You know, I'll I'll do what I can, you know I'll do my part and everything. But she she basically wanted to be together after she had gotten pregnant, and I didn't want to. So that's kind of what sparked her. Vengeance towards me I, is how I would put it. So, I mean, so how does that go? Like, uh, you, you, all of a sudden you're a dad, you know, and whether whether it was planned or not, whether you're going to get married or not, you've got this amazing thing. You've got this this son. Um, how, how did things start out? Was there any kind of amicable uh, period before things went south? How, how did that go? So, um, and I like to preface these discussions I have with people with, I, I'm not a woman hater. This this is in no way bashing women. Um, some of the best people in my life are women. Um, so I just like to get that out of the way. Um, so basically, yeah, she had she had my son. He was 10 days old when she informed me. Um, and I was actually, I would check in with her and say, you know, let let me know how everything's going. Let me know when he's born and everything. And, and she never did. And. Uh, She basically called one day and said, so when are you going to come see your son? And I said, well, what do you mean? And she goes, well, he was born 10 days ago. Well, that's that's nice. Thanks for telling me. I mean, um, that, that almost seems premeditated to me because doesn't it make like, well, you weren't even there. You know, I mean, like, do, do you think well, maybe that was the case? or When she told me she was pregnant, actually, I asked her how far along she was. Yeah. She said a week. Okay. I think and, it's important that we went there because otherwise people were like, well, dude, you know, didn't you kind of know when? So she gave you a alternate time frame. 
Well, whether she was a week along, from everything I've, other people I've talked to, they say there's no way you know that you're a week along. Okay. Unless you're looking for it. Yeah. Basically. So I draw your conclusions from that on your own. I don't know. I can't say definitively whether it was on purpose or not, you know. Kind of leans that way, given what kind of comes next. So what what happens? You guys are in this situation. What is, you know, other than the fact that she just wants you to get in a relationship, when you say no, what does she want from you? What do you want from her? How is this supposed to work out and what actually happens? So she tells me, you know, you don't have to have anything to do with it, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, I'm not going to have a child out there that I don't have anything to do with. My my father was always there for me, and I I just, I, I'm not that way. And, um, so then, so she, then she started letting me come over and see him when he was an infant and I would go over for a little while at a time and see him, you know, well then, you know, he starts getting older and older and it's time to establish, you know, a parenting plan and all that. Well, she tells the court that I'm abusive. And for the first six months I had to have, um, supervised visits to be, to, to have him. So the judge allowed that to be my parents basically so but i couldn't i couldn't even see him on my own for i believe it was the first six months and, and when a woman makes an accusation like that what evidence do they present to to justify that claim what evidence does the court ask for or is it just none. an accusation none okay it's well, an that's fair that's fair what do you want man you know i mean um and, and was there any specifics to that like you know, he throws the kid through the roof or something, or was it just like, he's abusive? I mean, was there any anything tangible at all or just a, a wild accusation? At that time, it was just merely that I'm abusive. No no specifics, anything like that. So that all comes later um, as he gets older. Um, so basically, yeah, and I think it was mainly the judge. I mean, they got so many cases to deal with. It's easier just to say, okay, you know, supervised visits, blah, blah, blah. Well, you erred which, to the, it's the state. You erred to the side of caution because if it turns out you screwed over a decent guy, there's no repercussions for it. But if you screw up and the guy is a douchebag and a kid gets hurt and you let it go, then you might have a problem. So it's always back to human nature protecting yourself. Right. And then so as he's young, um, my visitation is pretty limited. I think it started out as a few hours on Sundays. Um, and as he got older, he was able to start staying the night. And so then I wanted to get all that, you know, established in a parenting plan. So took her to court to get more visitation, you know, official visitation in my parenting plan, which is I was only asking for standard stuff, you know, every other weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh so she comes back with all these accusations of abuse. Um, by this time, he's potty training and stuff like that. And so she's, she tells the court that, you know, stuff like, I get mad at him for peeing his pants, so I locked him in the dog kennel all night. I had put him in his room with food and locked the door and go out drinking with my buddies, stuff like that. And, and again, no proof. Never called the cops and told them that. You know, she just brings it up conveniently in court. See, so, and the reason I'm pushing on this is because I know you try to be amicable toward this person because we actually, this is the second time we're doing this interview. Um, so 
having been through it before, I know you're trying to be nice, but what I'm trying to drive home here for people who may not be aware of this is that the family court system is unlike any other court system you'll ever go into. It's almost like a, to me like a kangaroo court. Like, let's go back to the first accusation. He's abusive. So as nasty as the state can be, let's say that the, um, the, the government decided they wanted to take Jack Spear go down. So a prosecutor brought me into a court of law and said, Jack Spear go deals drugs. And I said, no, I don't. You, the, the, the prosecutor then would have to not only produce some evidence, but, well, can we start out with what drugs does Jack's – no, just drugs. Like, so there's – no matter how tilted the scales of justice are against a person, you're not getting charges brought against a person with an accusation like that in America. That's, that is the banana republic. That is the, the old monarchy where, you know – or it's the – she's a witch, right? But in this system – Things like that can come up and be held against a person with no evidence, with no supporting anything, and without even the question of, oh, wait a minute, so you're telling me all this crap was going on, and you just let this happen, and you didn't, you didn't call 911, you didn't report him to the police? It, it's, it's a very difficult thing for people that haven't examined it to understand, I, I guess is what I'm trying to make the point of. Well, and to be fair, the judges that I, I appeared in front of didn't really buy into what she would accuse me of. Um, I mean, I'm sure it was a factor in things, but they, but at the same, same point, they don't like, there's no reprimand. She could say whatever she wants and it's obviously perjury in court, but they don't, they don't do anything about it and well, they don't even discourage prime it. Example, you know? right? So let's say that the, the, they came after, you know, Nathan and I, they called me in to say that I saw you dealing drugs And I say, yeah, he dealt drugs. I saw him dealing drugs. And then it turns out that, like, that was impossible because you come up with an airtight alibi that when I said it happened, there's no way it could have because you and I were in different states. You can damn well bet I'm facing perjury there. In right. fact, the prosecutor that used me is probably going to flip perjury on me because I made him look bad. Right. Right? But there's no, that's another thing, there's no consequence to this type of behavior. And Absolutely I wonder. Not. And I wonder if there would be if you did it. I always you know? thought it'd be interesting if these um, custody hearings and stuff like that had a jury. I wonder how different it would be. I always thought it would be great to have all of the testimony given across, like, like a, like a what, what's this guy's name? The guy that just passed away, the the famous scientist in the wheelchair, Stephen Hawking. Yeah, yeah. So that everybody's voice is like a computer voice, and they don't know who the man and the woman is. Right. And that would be really, really interesting, right? To just like, you know, I said he abused you, you know, and stuff like that. Like, because it would take that predisposition to side with the female, which is how I feel this goes out of it. Right. Um, yeah, that would be interesting. I have a friend who did a, a social science experiment when he was in college, and he wrote up four scenarios, and there were really two scenarios. And the only thing he did was change the genders. And the preponderance of the time, the people there was so there was two, you know, two that were male and female where you really should side with the female. And then there was the two that were you really should side with the male. But when they were flipped, it was still a preponderance to side with the female. Even though it was like like this it was a fake scenario and it was really bad. And it was still right. but they're her mother. She's their mother. 
and it's 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 a case where I think we've lost our minds about fathers' rights. Um, I mean, what's it been like? You've been drug into court and had to go to court multiple times. What is that experience like for someone in your position? So, well, oh, it's extremely draining. Um, you know, there's so many times you just feel like just throwing your arms up and walking away. You know, there's all these accusations that, you know, the term deadbeat dad gets thrown around. I wonder how many quote-unquote deadbeat dads are, are men that just had enough or just couldn't fight back anymore, you know. Or are eating beans out of the backseat of their car because they don't have any more money. Right. Well, I mean, we've made, I, we've made financial failure into a felony. I went, you know, the custody hearings and the uh, child support hearings are totally separate, and they don't, they don't correlate the two. Um, so, you know, when you hear like, well, you can see your son when, when you pay for him, stuff like that. That's always just people talking that the courts don't actually operate that way. But, um, when I was going in for child support hearings, I actually had, I was in one day and there was a guy in front of me that was on, was crippled with crutches. He had broken his back and couldn't work anymore. And, um, his child support was $1,200 a month for two kids and his disability was $800 a month. And he was begging the judge to lower it. He had tears rolling down his face, and the judge refused to do it. See, that's a sickness. Like, to me, yeah. that... a male judge, too. That judge should be disbarred. Like, you're not... you Okay, the hell with legal concepts. You can't do math, right? You just failed, you know, first-grade math. You could ask a first-grader, if Joe has $800... And he's supposed to give Tammy $1,200. Can Joe do that? And the little kid would say no. Like, even if they can't tell you the difference in the number, they know that that's not enough, right? There's a difference between 8 and 12. And then what is he supposed to survive on? But when we did this the first time, didn't you tell me the judge said something like, you were making that much at one time, you can do it again, or something stupid like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That was his exact words. You made that money before, you can do it again. And he said, no, I can't. I have a broken back, but didn't care. And see, this is where I've always really had the big issue here. The guy that goes out and creates like three different baby mamas from three different mamas, never pays a dime, ignores every summons, that guy never goes to jail. That guy, I, I, I have not seen it yet. That guy never right. gets because he's not, he never, it's almost like the people that never filed taxes often get away with a lot because they never entered the system. They never filed once. So they, they never enter the system. So it's the guy that tries to comply that ends up with the one where when he can't pay, he goes to jail. My uh, daughter-in-law, her son, when my, when my son met her, was from another guy. He never paid a dime in child support, not a dime. They worked in the same place. It's not like you can't find them. And he never, ever was ever threatened with jail. Eventually, he did end up getting his wages garnished. And you want to talk about a deadbeat, this is a guy that once he knew he was getting his wages garnished, said, uh, I would be willing to release, relinquish my custodial rights and allow, uh, in this case, my son to adopt him as his father. Right. So there's your deadbeat. His consequences right. were zero because there he are never tried. You know, he never there, tried. There are absolute deadbeats, but we're all lumped into that, you know. 
Well, it's like the whole teachers are heroes, and all single all fathers of divorced marriages are deadbeats, right? What do you not understand about that? And there's actually a a lot of fathers' rights groups popping up and forming in kind of a movement that's going on that I, I keep seeing, and it's pretty encouraging. And they're actually starting to make headway in, with 50-50 custody cases and stuff like that. And I am seeing over and over that it's they're just being bashed. Oh, you only want 50-50 custody, so you don't have to pay child support anymore. You know, and it's, and it's always, it always comes down to the finances. It's like, well, how about I'm a father and I want, I want to raise my kids. I want to be a part of their lives. You know, that's never even considered. Yeah. I mean, you know, as well as anyone, what is it like paying child support each month and then trying to survive on what's left? There was one year I was not making much. I was paying 700 a month in child support and, um, could barely buy food, barely pay rent. I uh, had to have a roommate and everything. So I thought, well, I'm going to go get some, I'm going to try to get some assistance. So I called down to the local assistance office, DSHS, and just said, hey, I want to get some information, see what I can do. And I was talking to the lady down there. And so she asked how much I made and what my situation was. And I told her and everything. And she goes, okay, okay. And then she asked me what race I was. And I told her I was white and she laughed at me. And said I couldn't get any help. All the other qualifying factors were there, but once I told her that. You're a white male. You're privileged. You have privilege. Yep, so go white, use your white privilege. Male privilege. I. Yeah, you know, people don't believe this when you try to tell them this. I've had conversations, especially with more left leaning people, where you tell them these things and they just flat out don't believe you. And it's like, this isn't hard to find if you want to go find it, that this stuff's going on. And it's oh. it's 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 disgraceful that you know we live in a country supposed to be the freest in the world, and 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 this is what our system does to people. Absolutely, it's all brushed off when it comes to you know it seems like anything with a father. It's just oh okay, well you know, and then if you say anything about you know her having a part in it, they're like, well, you're the one that slept with her. Didn't she sleep like, with you? That's what I always get. You know, well, you should have known better. You're the one that slept with her. Shouldn't she have known better? She's a woman. They're kind of like switched on to the whole biological process thing on their end. Yeah. And I'm not, that's not to excuse you. No, that's no, not at that all. There's an equal level of responsibility here, right? Not at all. If you, t I mean, honestly, like when this came out, when we were started talking about this, you're like, yeah, well, she was some drunk trick in high school or something. I'd be like, okay, dude, you made your own mess, right? But when you're talking about two people in a consensual relationship that happen to become pregnant, there's an equal level of responsibility there. Once that child's born, I also believe there's an equal level of responsibility. But if I have an equal responsibility, then I should have an equal claim. Unless right. I don't want it or there's reason for me not to have it. So if you if you were like, well, yeah, man, I, I'm shooting up every day, but I'm a good dad, I'd be like, dude, you know, come on, right? But like, if you're a good guy doing your best, and it's amazing how men get judged differently. So let's say you got a guy that's busting his hump packing boxes for 10 bucks an hour in a warehouse, that's married and he's got a kid and they live together and they're all, right? You know what people say about that guy? Well, he's, he's doing everything he can, right? He's doing everything yeah. he can. I mean, yeah, it sucks that that's, but look, he's, he's there and he's doing everything he can to take care of his family. Now, get a divorce, that lazy son of a bitch. You know, he should go get a better job so he can support that kid. Yep. Well, wait a minute. 
those two things aren't connected to each other. It's not like, well, if well, he can. Well, don't you think when he was married, if he could, he would have? Do you think well, anybody here, wants that shitty job? But that's the job he can get. And there's another aspect to that, too. The government regulates what the single father pays on his, for his kid, but the married father, they don't. They don't exactly. step into a marriage and say, you have to appropriate this much money towards your child. Absolutely. So which I view as unequal rights, you know. Well, especially when they've determined the domicile, right? So they, they determine that you don't get your kid, and then they determine how much you have to pay for them. It's, it, it really makes you think th these systems to me are very much like maybe not the king, but like, you know, back in the, 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 the feudal era, like the ability of someone like a duke or, or whatever to just make an edict. And within his duchy, that's just the way that it was with no recourse. And then I have to provide everything she has to provide or else I don't get my visitation. Even though she gets don't money have money in order to provide it. If I don't have a, a clean home and a safe home for him and, you know, everything she has to provide that she needs extra money for. So it's like I'm paying double sure. child support. So, for instance, if you have a one-bedroom apartment, they might say, oh, that's not good enough. He doesn't have his own room. She, they could totally use that against you, yeah. Which is insane because you would never tell a single mother with a one-bedroom apartment where the kid's sleeping on the couch, she can't keep her kid. And You'd if have anybody, sympathy for her. Oh, if anybody did. Oh, because there'd be the news helicopter flying around and a guy'd be out there and this is a scandal and whatever. But, you know, a guy trying to get by that you've already taken from. And there are people in this situation that make enough money that even though they're not happy about it, even though it's uncomfortable, it doesn't destroy them. I had guys working for me, and this is 25 years ago in construction, that were making, you know, back then minimum wage was like four and a quarter or something like that. We were paying them like $8 an hour. So you're talking about $320 a week gross. Maybe they'd get lucky and get some overtime, but it was few and far between. And they're paying like $200 a week in child support. Well, how is that person supposed to live? Right. Let alone... Provide an equivalent household, especially when, like, the one guy, this guy was named Joe, his ex-wife, two, two kids, he's paying this money on them. She's now living with a guy, but they don't get married, right? So she continues to be able to just take everything she can from him. She's in a two-income household now. And it's just, to me, it's what you said last time we talked about this. You can only put so much blame on the other party because this is what the system leads you to. You're also not allowed to count the other party's income. So like the new husband, you're not yeah. allowed to count his income or she doesn't have to report that. Of course not. That would she be unfair could, to her. She could marry Bill Gates and it wouldn't matter to you. And again, I, I think people really need to understand like the, the – The severity here. So when I looked at your application to be on the show, I was like, you know, I need to do some background and brush up on some things. And I thought, like, well, you know, if I was 22 today instead of closer to 50, I'll just leave it at that, um, and I was going to get married, I always thought, well, today I would require a prenup. And I would just say to anybody I was considering getting married with, if we can't be reasonable now, there's no way we're going to be reasonable then. And I wouldn't want a prenup that basically says you're screwed and I get everything. I'd want what any two people would look at and say, 
that's fair, equitable, and reasonable under an unfortunate circumstance. And then when I did the research on this, basically I found a prenuptial agreement today, unless you're like a celebrity and it's about a large monetary estate, is fundamentally worthless. And that you can go to court and everybody can agree to everything. It can be completely fair and equitable and working. And one party can just say, I don't like this anymore, and drag the whole thing back into court. Yeah, and then prenups don't have anything to do with children either, from what I understand. Yeah. So, like, the prenup wouldn't have any bearing on child support or anything like that. Hmm. I think they can. I just don't think it matters. You can and, write a contract any way you want, and well, an attorney would say, well, how right, can you make right. an agreement for how this child would be cared for when at the time of the agreement the child didn't exist? Right? Yeah, so, like, you'd yeah. have to amend that. But even my understanding is even then, no matter what you do, it could just be tossed away because even when the court makes a decision, let's say you go to court and the court says, Mr. Lanier, you're correct. You should have, you know, 30% custodial rights. This should be the amount of your support. This is your days. Everything's fine. You agree to it. She agrees to it. Two years later, she goes, you know, this is just not working for me anymore. She can take that right back into court with no consequences if she comes up with a completely baseless accusation. Right. And the, you could make the point to me if you said, okay, we need to set child support guidelines and, and it's for the best interest of the child. So in whatever city or county or area you live in, maybe come up with an average price to raise a child and you pay half that. No matter what your income is, below it or above it, you, you could make that argument to me. But this whole income-based, you know, like say you get, say I won the lottery, yeah, and you know she could come after me for way more money, and that's well after he was born, you know, yeah. Or celebrities, I mean, how many celebrities do you see in the news where they pay thirty thousand a month for child support, and that's not enough, and they're taking them back to court for more? Almost like it sets a pattern for others to emulate or something. Yeah. You know, I, I would say that, like, one of the things that people need to do to really understand this, because I, I, I know right now, with just a sheer number of people listening to the show, there's a woman out there who's been screwed over the other direction and did everything she could to be amicable, and that's that made it worse, saying, uh, I, yes. I really think that every adult in America – in fact, if, and any teenager old enough to get it should go and get a documentary called Divorce Corp and watch that all the way through to understand how these systems are run because what these systems really are is monetary extraction systems. Um, it's not just, and I don't mean just extracting money from the man to the woman. There's an awful lot of money extracted into the legal system. For instance, what would you say, not counting money that went to your uh, ex-girlfriend to support your child money that went into legal fees and into the state fees one way or another how much have you contributed to the state and the lawyers in this journey <sighs> tens of thousands I, I've never sat down and added it all up you probably I did a, if you did right I, I mean, did a ton on my own in the beginning without an attorney because I couldn't afford one you know and I did a lot of late nights researching stuff and going and getting this paper and that paper and this, you know, this form and that form. And I, and I, 
And and you can do a lot of it on your own, which which I did. And you can also go to attorneys and just pay for a consultation. Just pay for a couple hours at a time and get advice on what what forms to fill out and stuff like that. So that does help a little bit. But still, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, absolutely. For a guy that's done everything he could to always make his payments, never so abused his kids, was told you can just go away and didn't. And that guy's into it for tens of thousands of dollars. So a couple years ago, I went through a whole other bout with her. Um, so, so back when he was around four or five, she ended up getting married and, um, everything got great after that. She left me the heck alone. She started giving me more and more visitation. And, um, actually I was getting them every other Thursday through Monday. And then I would get them every other week during the summer when he was out of school. And, um, and she even lowered my child support because the economy tanked and I, I'd had a construction business at the time. I had to let that go and everything. And, uh, so she felt bad and she actually lowered the child support and, um, agreed to it. And he, her attorney tried to talk her out of it too. It was kind of funny. Um, so everything was cool. And then, but I would always tell people, I said, if she ever gets divorced, I'm screwed. And, um, sure enough, they have a fallen out. She gets divorced. A year later, I'm being accused again of being abusive. Matter of fact, I had gotten a phone call from her attorney said, there's a here, there's a hearing for a restraining order in 10 minutes. You can be here if you want to. And that kicked it all off again. And I jumped in my car and hauled ass to the other side of town and barely made it. Otherwise, I would have, there would have been a restraining order. I wouldn't have been able to see him. And this is why I call it a kangaroo court system. This is there. There is no, there is nobody that. Or I, let me put it there. I can see no way in which things like this could be gotten away with in a criminal or a true civil court. This is a completely independent court system, and it can cause things to happen in criminal courts. So, like you said, a restraining order. So then that can be enforced by criminal enforcement, right? Or right. you don't pay your child support. Well, then they can issue an order that causes a criminal court to uh, call for your arrest. But yeah, they pull your license. You lose your driver's license well, if, you don't, if you're behind you on child, child support? support. You know, go to your job. I can't. You took my license. So you should have thought about it. it. It's so. What do you advise a young person to do? I, I sit here and look, and I, I mean, I love my daughter and a lot. Think she's a fantastic person. Um, You know, they have a, a, our granddaughter's here right now. We take care of her all the time. And I look at this and go, you know, gee, I hope if it ever falls apart that it goes amicably. But, you know, I'm afraid for him. And, and so what do you do if you're 22 years old right now planning your life to try to protect yourself? Do you just take the risk or what? Um, number one, take it upon yourself for birth control. Don't trust what anyone else tells you. Um You know, if you if if it, it you end up having a child, yeah, you, you know, you hire an attorney. That's about all I can tell you. It's it's a rough road, um, but don't give up because you know I've I've always been there for my son and I've never regretted a second of it. Um, yeah, don't give up and uh, just make the most of it as best you can, but. 
but be proactive before it happens. Be responsible. I, you know, I was a young, naive, dumb kid, you know, didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, I almost feel like you should say, look, you get, if you did get married inside of kids, open up another bank account and throw some money in there. Keep it to yourself. I know it sounds nasty, but really keep it to yourself. Once your kids are grown, you know, give it to them to help them go to college or establish their life or, you know, give it to your spouse and to go take a trip together. But have it, if this kind of thing ever happens, is some sort of op, you know, some sort of fund in which you can defend yourself. Because as yeah. you've said, it's expensive and it's, it, it, the deck really is t tilted against the guys in this. It, and anybody that doesn't believe that either is uninformed or I would say more likely willfully ignorant. They don't want to believe that it's this bad because it is. And because we all probably do know some woman who was totally screwed over by a guy to haul ass. And then it's Absolutely. easier. It's easier. See, I, I look at this a lot like, you know, back a couple hundred years ago before we understood medical science, kid was born with a deformed face or something like that. What did people do? They ostracized this kid. You must have done, you must be something wrong with you. Your parents must be bad. Something like that, right? Like, it's just easier to distance yourself from that which is uncomfortable than it is to understand it. Right. Yeah, and like I said, it all just gets kind of blown off, you know? It's like, oh, you just don't want to pay child support. Oh, you know, you just want to get out of it. You just don't want to be a parent. And fathers are just dismissed, you know, in, in the blink of an eye. And it's, it's, it's really sad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's move on to something a little bit better. You you do have plans for, like, uh, the uh, next phase of your life. Your son's, what, 16 now, I guess? So he's 16. He'll be 17 next winter. Um, so that that whole deal is about to be over. What is much. that like? Does that feel like you got, like, these two big chains on your legs and somebody just came out and took one of them off and you're still dragging one, but, like, you can see this line. And, you know, when I go across that freaking line, they're going to take this other one off, and, 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 and I'm going to be free. Well, it kind of doesn't seem real. You uh, know, it's like I've dealt with it for so long. It's like, is it really going to happen? Um, you know, I always kind of view it as most people get their freedom to be an adult when they're 18. I'm not going to get it till I'm 42, basically, because – My life has been dictated for me this, the past, you know, 17 years. Yeah, yeah. But as you see that, you're kind of thinking of heading back to Arkansas, doing some homesteading and stuff, and so, you're converting a school bus, right? Right. So um, after this last go around in court, I've, I've been thinking for the past four or five years of doing this, building a bus anyways. Um, and so once this all happened, I just... I just kind of pulled the trigger. I, me and my girlfriend, we've been together for 17 or seven years, not 17 years. Um, seven years now. Um, we have a daughter. Um, she's my stepdaughter, but I view her as my daughter. And, uh, she's nine and we homeschool her. And, uh, so we just decided to go ahead and pull the trigger and do it. So we've had this bus for about a year and a half now. Um, so it's just a regular old school bus bought on at auction. It's a, uh, Bluebird, it's got a Cummins diesel in it, um, and we stripped it down and we're converting it, and it's probably about 85% done, and the the plan and the goal is to drive it down to Arkansas, and um, I'm being willed five acres 
a family property and I'll eventually get another three um, after my grandma passes and stuff. And um, so, yeah, we're going to go down there and homestead. This this property's been in my family since, I think, back to the 1800s. And um, my great-grandfather willed it that we can't sell it. We can only pass it down to family and stuff like that. I think that's really cool, honestly, because, you know, the, the way I would see it, like the place I've built here, I know there's someone somewhere in my bloodline or in at least my extended family line that would want to take this place and continue to do something with it. And if you don't, whoever I leave it to, if you don't want it, then let someone else take it and keep it in the family. I, I think yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, that's kind of what he did. And it's, he, he's done a lot with the properties since, you know, he used to grow watermelons. He had peach trees there. He had, you name it, he did it at one time with the property. And my grandma was actually born right there on the property, what they, uh, in a log cabin they had had. And my mom used to draw water out of the well for the house because they didn't have running water when she was a kid and stuff like that. It's pretty neat. Pretty neat family history there. It's right at the base of the Ozarks. It's, just beautiful country there. There's a lake right down the road. We go, I grew up fishing on and swimming in and stuff like that. So we could just ride our bikes down there if we wanted to and catch bass all day. Um, so we're, we're just planning on homesteading the property, living in the bus to start with. Um, eventually we'll build a house. I kind of want to take my time and figure out, you know, this is probably where I'm, I'm going to die. And, I want to figure out how I want to lay out the land and everything, but we're going to start simple, you know, some chickens, a garden and stuff like that. So on this bus thing, let's, let's finish that up before we get into what you're going to be doing with your future. Um, what have okay. you done with it so far? And, uh, does it really play a role in the long term plan? So we've, so I bought it at auction. Um, it was from a local school district here. It's a, it's about 35 feet. I believe it was a 72 passenger and full of seats and everything. Um, took it home, stri- stripped all the seats out and we started using it right away. I, I got it insured right away and uh, we'd go camping with nothing in it and just sleep on the floor. Um, and I wanted to do that. That way I could build it as we go. That way we could figure out that. Oh, that would be best if the fridge was here or blah, 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 you know. And, um, so I actually got a trailer salvage from someone real cheap and, uh, used the holding tanks and the fridge and the stove and the sinks and the toilet and the, uh, air conditioning unit and all that out of the trailer. I actually got that for like 500 bucks. So that was a big, big savings there. Um, there's just the options on it are so limitless. Uh, compared to buying an RV, you know, and RVs, I don't know, they're fine for some people, but they disintegrate in a windstorm. They're not safe. They rot out. And and if you're going to get a diesel RV, that's way out of my price range. Yeah, the, so, the, the buses really are built amazing as far as, like, just the frame, the floor, etc. Well, it's all... All the sheet metal on it is galvanized before it's painted, so they don't even rust out. There's like no rust on this thing. So and, you know, and they're tough. You could roll it over and keep going. 
<laughs> I advise you not to try that, but you're probably right. Yeah. Um, so how is your, you know, your work experience contributed to this? Like, were you a truck driver at some point and that makes the bus easier or whatever? Yeah. So I've been driving, I have my CDL almost, let's see, almost 20 years now. Um, so I've been driving for quite a while. Um, took a break here and there. I started construction business for a little while and then, but I've been back driving truck for about five or six years now. Um, so, you know, driving the bus is a piece of cake for me. Um, and in Washington, you have to keep it a commercial vehicle until it's, um, self-contained. So you have to have a CDL to drive it until it's self-contained, which obviously isn't a problem for me, but I don't know how it is in other states, but if you're in Washington wanting to do it, you got to consider that. What are your plans then for your future in Arkansas, especially like, is your time frame such that by the time you actually land in Arkansas, this whole child custody thing will be behind you? Um, I keep or my close. joke is <laughs> my joke is I'm going to have the bus running and leave from his graduation party, you know, <laughs> when he graduates high school. Um, but yeah, so basically, I'm going to wait till he graduates, see him off, you know, through high school and everything, and uh, then go ahead and take off. Um. Yeah, we want to go down there, like I said, and homestead the property. We, I've also got some family. i got an uncle down in, on the coast in Alabama. We want to go have options to kind of drive down there and stay with him for a month or so. And then I've got other family in Arizona. We could go see them, do, do some traveling, see the country a bit, you know. Yeah, definitely. And, and what is kind of your long-term plan once you're there? Um, basically... Like I said, homestead the property, set it up. We want to be self-reliant as possible. Um, I'm still, you know, that's obviously a learning process as we go. Um, I've got a couple options for work. I've got a, my mom's cousin owns a trucking outfit there in my hometown. I can drive for him. Um, another cousin of mine, her husband runs a thousand acre cattle ranch. He said I could come work for him too, which kind of sounds appealing. Um, so I've got a few options here and there. My girlfriend does some photography and stuff like that. Um, we might try to do some some uh, self-employment kind of deals here and there, too. Yeah, that's that's great that you kind of have, like, a, a starting point from an economic standpoint because it's hard to pick up and leave and go somewhere else. And then, well, okay, now i got to pay the bills. i got to support myself. Uh, you'll have one big bill you don't have to pay anymore, but... You know, the rest of the things like food, shelter, energy, et cetera. Uh, so that's good that you have some lines in down there. And that's actually cool, I think, that you have some options. Um, are you, like, right now kind of really thinking about, like, well, which way do I want to go with this and spending some time with it? Well, I'd like to be saving up money for the trip, <laughs> which I am as much as I can. But, boy, living up here, um, the cost of living and everything, it's hard to set aside anything. Um, it's, I don't know if you know anything about this area, but it's getting pretty ridiculous up here. Yeah. Unfortunately, due to uh, the, the trials of friends, I do the whole, well, it's, you know, everything sucks in California. It's too expensive. Let's move to Oregon and Washington and screw that up too. Um, that's one part of it, I think. And then it's just, I think part of it is there's parts of the country where if they experience growth, there's not a lot of place for it to go. 
Um, one of the things that's kept a lid on housing prices here in Texas until very recently when we've had a pretty big run-up is that if a whole bunch of people moved in, well, then a housing developer would go, well, shit, there's a big field over there. If we build houses, people will buy them. And when you move into areas with a lot of mountains and things like that, new developments are a lot more complicated. If you have a lot of environmental restrictions, while they do some good, you also have the more difficult in building new places. So then there's more competition for what there is, and you don't have an offset. And, in fact, we can see that here, and it was something that I knew was coming when the 2008-2009 crash, because they were building houses everywhere. Like when you went out on a weekend, there, was, there were companies where the only thing they did was these guys went out and put up signs to tell you where the new houses were. Oh, yeah. They could only be out for the weekend. So, like, they had businesses built on, I put signs out on Friday night, and I picked them up on Sunday evening. And then when the crash hit, it was like, poof, it just quit. And it's like, man, when there's a recovery, this so inventory, I, you know, so that's, that's where we're at with it. But I, I guess up there it's harder for them to build. I make um, residential deliveries to new construction, actually, okay. which is – is like probably 80 to 90% of what I do. And uh, I was actually this morning delivering to a new development going in um, in an area called Maple Valley, and there was a herd of elk in there eating all the new leaves off the trees they were putting in the streetscapes. <laughs> and I was talking to the guys there, and I was like, do you see all those elk? And they're like, oh, yeah, they're here every day. They've got a big bull, too. And, and uh, they said, well, they won't be here for long because all these houses are going in. And I actually snapped a picture and put it on Instagram this morning of them. And it's it's pretty sad. Those elk are going to have to find a new area because a bunch of, you know, several hundred houses are going to be there in a couple months. And then there's this other giant um, development I'm delivering to. And it's going to have 6,500 homes in it by the time it's done. Oh, my God. And there's like a two-lane highway to get out there. So traffic is just horrendous oh. now because of all this growth. Urban sprawl, even there. See, I, I'm surprised by that. I, I thought that was, I guess it is part of the problem, but it's still somewhat, you get to a certain point, then all of a sudden the building begins. Because there's developments here, like if you, we don't have mountains, we have like rolling hills though. And if you get to the right spot where you can get some distance in your vision, it's like seas of houses. They even, it scares the hell out of me, man. There's um, an area right across the, the, it's called Snoqualmie Pass, which is a pass through the Cascades. And there's a little town right on the other side. And they were advertising homes there saying it's only an hour and a half drive to Seattle, mm. an hour and a half commute to Seattle. So, okay, you're going to make that mountain pass drive in January? I don't think so. That's when you cut a deal for telecommuting when it snows, right? <laughs> right but they're, they're running out of room yeah. so much. Yeah. And, and and it is geographically locked here with the Puget Sound and yeah. and all of that. That does not help at all. Because, I mean, people here, 45 minutes to an hour for a commute, they're like, okay, that's doable. Once you go over an hour, you're like, oh, you know, yeah, there's other jobs, right? Or we're so, going to move, right? That's how people think here. But I, I'm seeing, like, but like when I bought my first house, it was uh, 2000, no, it was 1998. Well, that's a long time ago. It's 20 years. But I bought a three-bedroom, two-bath, two-story home, typical suburban lot, you know, about a, a third of an acre, $84,000. And it was, a, it was for a three-bedroom, it was a big house. The rooms yeah. were like, the smallest bedroom was like 10 by 12. And the biggest bedroom was like 
16 by 24 or something like that was the master. And um, my son and his wife, they just bought a house, really small three-bedroom. Like, I don't think they make smaller three-bedrooms than this. Postage stamp lot, and they paid $174 or something like for it. And they agreed that if it underappraised to go up like another three over whatever the appraisal was, as like one of the things to compete, like, you know, take your bet on us, because there was like six offers on it. And when I look at all that, I, I worry about, you know, we talk about young people starting out and getting into the custody thing. What about young people starting out and trying to start a life? Yeah, I couldn't even imagine that. So King County is the main county um, in this state that one county pretty much runs the whole state. And that's King County. And it's, you know, obviously the most populated. But the average price of a home in King County now is over 800000 I, 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 And I, And there's such a housing crisis. And now the, there's become so many homeless in the Seattle area. It's, 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 I don't even know how to describe it. It's like going to a third world country up there now. Unfortunately, I, I am familiar with that problem too. I've been to Seattle quite a bit. And, you know, it seems like all of the states that have the socialist utopia mindset are where all the homeless are. There are over 400 encampments in Seattle alone that they've counted. There's needles everywhere. There's, there are, we're getting ready to get a NHL t- hockey team, and I saw on Facebook they put a bunch of you know different concepts for uh, the team name and the logo. And I keep and I started looking through the comments, and person after person saying like, "How about the Seattle syringes?" And oh wow, <laughs> and, and the logo is a needle, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, there are moms that have to go out every morning and pick up needles around the neighborhood before the kids get up. They're they're teaching kids in school what what to do with needles, and they hand out kits on like disposal kits. No wonder you want to get out of there. Not just the bad memories, bad bad present reality. You know, I mean, I I think this is going to result in a lot of young people. Um, you know what we had for generations. You know, John John Boy is born in a small town. John Boy looks around small town, no opportunity. John Boy goes to big city. Gets job, raises family. John Boy's children stay in city or go to other city, and that's gone on for you know since my grandparents' time at least. And I think what we're going to start seeing today is like what you're doing. You're doing it later in life, but I have a suspicion that had this not happened, Nathan may have went to Arkansas a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I actually was making plans to move back before I had my son. I I. Never felt at home here. I've always wanted to go back. And with telecommuting now and all, like, why would I go pay eight hundred grand for a house when I could buy a better house for, let's say, one hundred and fifty? Well, not only are you paying eight hundred grand for oh, that taxes. house, <laughs> but you've got homeless literally in your backyard camping out. You're probably You're paying, paying twenty five grand a year. I mean, there there are people that pay over twenty grand a year in property, property taxes tax. now. To have um, syringes over your fence. And there, there are people, they've deemed it legal for homeless to park their RVs on on streets now because that's their home. So they're they're not allowed to evict them. So there's run-down RVs parked all over the city. Um, you can shoot up heroin in public now. They don't prosecute you. 
So they basically made it legal to shoot up. You you can literally walk down the street in Seattle and see people shooting up on the park benches. Yeah. And yeah. so you're going to pay close to a million dollars or a million dollars for a house, and and that's what you're getting? So as this economy shifts and more and more people say the hell with this and leave, and you got people with $800,000 houses that can't get $500,000 out of them, you know that second great great recession I keep talking about? There's a recipe for it to begin right there. Well, that's the thing. There are companies failing because of the burdens that the government's putting on them in this area. They're trying to pass the Seattle head tax where they have to pay like four or five hundred dollars a year for each employee for businesses that gross over 20 million a year. Oh, dear God. Which grossing 20 million a year doesn't mean much for some companies. Doesn't mean anything because a lot of companies are running a one percent profit margin. Right. Um, people say, well, Amazon is going to make almost a trillion dollars, and their their margin is 1.5%. So there there are people, that, I mean, there are businesses, you know, obviously small small business, businesses are getting hit the worst, that are failing, and this is a boom time. Imagine when it goes south. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? It's going to happen, and, and you got to believe that more and more people are just not going to want to be there. That yeah, sounds I'm like you've had your full of it. <laughs> article after article. I've I've lived in Seattle for thirty years and I've had enough. We're leaving, you know. There was a news story the other yesterday on the radio. This young couple came from Wisconsin. Um they wanted to do some mountain hiking and stuff. They wanted to check out Seattle. Someone broke into their rental car and stole all their stuff out of it. Oh wow. And uh so they're basically penniless now without any other gear. You know what I, I, I see coming eventually is one of these big companies like an Amazon or somebody like that. There's a lot of highway in this country that runs through a lot of land where you can almost buy a county for like, you know, a few billion dollars or something like that. The, re, the return of the company town. Where they well, go, Amazon's don't, already. Don't, you know, don't worry about the fact it's nothing here. We're going to build everything. You get a house as part of your compensation, or they'll sell you the house, but at like, you know, 5% over build cost. We're not going to have property problems, uh, tax problems here because we kind of own the government now because we bought the whole county. I mean, I see things like that happening because you need Company a place for store people. and all that. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. maybe a, a kinder, gentler, right? Company yeah, store. maybe, you know, maybe with good intentions this time. You know? Because um, you're not well, going to be in the mines, like filling your lung with like coal dust or whatever. Um, Amazon's already talking about moving out. They've been this whole HQ2 thing yeah. that you know that's Which, a clear a sign they're, they're wanting. To... Here, there's a very we're on the finalist list now. Uh, yeah, I heard Boston's in the running. I if I'm choosing between Boston and Dallas Fort Worth, and Dallas Fort Worth was really smart. I think all of the because we have Dallas and Fort Worth and like 20 other cities. You know, we Richardson, uh, Euless, Bedford, Hearst, Grand Prairie, Arlington, and these are all sizable. And they were all like, you know, we can all go for this individually. But let's face it, if they come here, it's good for all of us. So they kind right. of all threw their hat in the ring together as like a conglomerate. So I, I now don't think I'm taking a victory lap because all I'm going is that's that's a whole lot more freaking people coming here. Um, you know, and you start eyeballing, how far out do I need to go to stay away from this crap? So in my neighborhood alone, there's, and it's a pretty, it's laid out well, so you don't really feel it. But there's 325 homes in here. And um, and I look at that, and it's like, man, that's like half the population of my hometown in one neighborhood. 
It's crazy. It is. It is. Well, I think we've strayed a little bit, but I think it is relevant and germane to the original discussion of dealing with the situation you're in and getting out of that situation. Um, Nathan, man, I, I wish you well on your future travels, and you need to check back around with us when you're loading up that bus and heading to Arkansas because, I don't know, maybe I'll do the Dave Ramsey thing and play the Freedom Scream for you or something, but uh, I, it's something I, I know you got to be looking forward to. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I do applaud you for maintaining the relationship with your son because I know from our previous discussion – You know, you're the kind of guy you don't say anything bad about his mom to him, even though it'd be really easy to do. And I think people can learn from that. And I think one of the big takeaways here is like, if you end up in a situation, you got to put the kids first. Yeah, you know, he, he can come to his own conclusions in in his own time. I don't need to do that for him. And in general, my experience is they do, right? Like kids get older, they figure things out, and. You know, even if one parent is bashing the other, they sooner or later they go, well, the other one never said anything. Well, and then it's genuine, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for uh, trying to help some folks out, giving people things to think about. Again, I want to reiterate, folks, you should check out Divorce Corp. I'll have a link in today's show notes. You have a YouTube channel. I've got a link to that in the show notes as well, uh, and, and people might want to check that out. You want to tell them what that's about real quick before we uh, sign off? Uh, Nate Dog 22 is the channel name. Um, I just, I dabble a little bit making just family adventures and stuff. Uh, I do a little bit of music. So I've got a couple of videos on there that I've actually got a couple hundred videos on there now. I don't, I don't really make anything from it yet, but that might be a possibility in the future. I might turn it into kind of a vlog of our move and everything. Um, so yeah, freaking check that out. Nate Dog 22 is the name. Very cool, Nathan. Well, thanks for being with us today. And again, Please check back with us as you get closer to uh, making that freedom run. All right. Thanks a lot, Jack. With that, I, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that you've taken away some, some things from it. I think some of the better advice that we talked about today were things like, you know, the best time to discuss divorce is when you get engaged. Uh, trying to have a game plan for, like, keeping the marriage together as long as possible, of course, trying to make it the full way to the finish line. But just understanding each other right from the beginning that if things go wrong, Uh, you're not going to use children as weapons. Uh, you're not going to be hateful to each other. You, if you have children, you will always be each other's uh, you know, parent. Uh, you, if you are doing it to the mother, then you are doing it to your child's mother. If you do it to the father, you're doing it to your child's father. It's a sick and twisted thing. And I do believe that Nathan's right, that the system is more to blame than the individual. The system has been set up to encourage this. And it's why I encourage people to get out of the state systems wherever possible and use third-party private arbitration whenever you can. Um, you can do that in a divorce, and then you can go to the state for a simple no-fault divorce that was drawn up by the arbitration committee. Now, the problem is, no matter what happens, as you learn today, somebody can change their mind and drag the whole thing back into court again. It, it is a sickness that we have in this country, and uh, but it's up to us to rise above it, because... Whether you blame a system or not, the individuals involved are the ones that choose to use that system. Anyway, with that, if you like today's show and the work that we do and you want to support us, there's a couple ways you can do that. One's by becoming a member of the MSB or Member Support Brigade. To learn more about that, just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members, and you'll get a bunch of great discounts that will more than pay for your membership. Uh, if you want them, you'll get every episode of the Survival Podcast ever done in convenient zip files, a lot of other really cool stuff. 
about $200 worth of free ebooks on day one for buying a $50 membership, and then discounts to almost 80 vendors now, including people like ButcherBox, BulkAmmo.com, Ridge Wallet Company, JM Bullion on Silver and Gold, Harvest Eating, uh, and just a ton of other really great companies that you get discounts from. The other thing you can do to help us, this is a painless thing, is when you're going to shop online, just go to tspaz.com first and check out all of our reviews there. And as long as you shop from tspaz.com, you help support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. Um, the product I have for you today, I haven't had around for you guys in about a year. I thought it was time to bring it back around as a cooking item. And these are Thai whole dried chilies by Asia Trendy. You guys know me. I'm huge on growing your own food. Um, but the price of these things is just... It, it, it's off the hook stupid. I, I don't even understand how they do it. It's, it's three and a half ounces, which doesn't sound like a lot, but they're dried, so it's quite a bit. Three and a half ounces of Thai chilies from Thailand. I'm like, the custom label is on the bag. The individual bag ships from Thailand for free for $3.50. I don't think I could mail a letter with three ounces in it to Thailand for $3.50. I, I don't even get it. Uh, this is a top-quality product. I really love these things. They're by a company called Asia Trendy on Amazon. Well-regarded uh, seller. I've bought from them many times. And uh, I use these to make a chili garlic pepper oil that when people that have been here before come back, if I've made them wings with this stuff, it's like one of the main things. Like, can you make wings? And, and here's what you use. You use about a, a dozen dried chili peppers about a half a handful of black peppercorns, one whole garlic bulb, and two cups of peanut oil. You put all of this stuff into a saucepan, and you heat it up to about 275 degrees. You can do that with a thermometer. What you can do is you watch. You heat it with a low temp, so it takes a while to get there. And when you see the items in that oil begin to just get ready to start frying, Shut off the heat, cover it, wrap the, wrap the uh, pot in a towel, set it aside, let it sit all day. Then you take it out, put it through like a Nutri-Ninja or a blender or what have you, and strain it into a jar. That's your, that's your final product, that oil. And uh, anything you use that on is fantastic, but chicken wings, it's amazing. I make up a dry rub to go along with it. But I put the oil on it first, I hit it with my dry rub, and I use a wing rack on my grill so that it air, kind of air fries with that oil uh, because it's suspended and the wing is not touching the rack. Oh, my God, is this good. In fact, I'll tell you now, we are pretty psyched about the fall workshop, even though we're in May and it's not till November. David Siegler and I have come up with a Friday in the middle of this workshop, like nothing we've ever done before, that's basically going to be a day-long lunch and dinner party. You're going to be learning all about cooking techniques, food preservation techniques, using microgreens, mixology, all kinds of really great stuff, uh, fermented foods, etc., with little servings of food all day long. It's going to be like one giant party. And we talked about doing wings, and we're, we're I'm in between, do we do these wings or do we the jerk Jamaican jerk wings uh, with the milder Jamaican jerk seasoning, because neither one of those will blow your brains out with heat. Maybe we do half and half, and you get you know one piece one segment of a wing of both. I don't know, but uh, pretty psyched about it to be thinking that far out. Good food 
makes for good times, and good times make for close relationships, and close relationships make for the survival of communities and families. And that's why I have such a passion for cooking. It fits right into the concept of survivalism, at least modern survivalism. That brings us to our song of the day, which, given we had to reschedule this interview, eerily fits uh, today's uh, episode. This is uh, Janis Joplin, me and Bobby McGee, and I had to punt out on uh, John Adams Sticks Week because we mixed mixed it by a day, and I didn't want to do Tuesday through Friday and then one on Monday. I want to do Sticks Week as a single week, so that'll start next week. So uh, I did a Jimmy Buffett song for you yesterday, and he backfilled the other three dates this week, and today's song is Me and Bobby McGee by Janis Joplin. And I love Janis Joplin's music, and this is probably my favorite song by her. A lot of people today don't know this, that even know of this song, but this song was written by Chris Christopherson. And this is the song that actually made him famous, and so that he could become a well-known artist and actor. Um, but this is what got him to that level. But you might wonder how a song about two people traveling across the country and then breaking up peacefully uh, fits in with today's show. Well, there's, there's a line in this song. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Well, in a March 2006 issue of Esquire magazine, Christofferson was asked where he was when he came up with the line, Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. His reply was, I was working the Gulf of Mexico on oil rigs, flying helicopters. I'd lost my family to, to my years of failing as a songwriter. All I had were bills, child support, and grief. And I was about to get fired for not letting 24 hours go between the throttle and the bottle. It looked like I'd trash my act. But there was something liberating about it. By not having to live up to other people's expectations, I was somehow free. Now, that's not exactly the way that I suggest that you get there. But there is something to be said for if you've lost everything, and you're still fogging a mirror, and you're still moving forward, and you still have some optimism about your future... It is quite liberating. And one way to do that is to stop fearing losing what you have, even if you don't lose it. And it's, it's kind of really the lesson of the Buddhist religion and detachment. You notice that there's a lot of people who are Buddhists that don't have bald heads and wear robes and live in monasteries. Uh, traditional and modern Buddhists both, all over the world, who might have a different culture than you and I do, but they don't not have anything. They're not all poor. Right, But they do practice the concept of detachment. Though I have this thing, though it brings beauty or happiness or, or pleasure or leisure or utility to my life, I'm not attached to it. I know that one day I will be dust again, as I was before I existed. I know that whatever is lost can be regained. I know that the journey is more important than any place along the way during it. And therefore, I'm not attached to it. Therefore, I can live without fear. I had a conversation with a good friend recently, and we were talking about our careers and coming up in the world, and how many times I thought to myself or even said out loud to somebody that would in any way infer that my job might be at risk, that, well, I, had a, I, I was looking for a job when I found this one. But you can't take from me, and if you can't take from me, you can't control me. And if you think about it, everything that the government does, everything that adversarial relationships involve, always control comes with taking from you. Sometimes even in parental relationships, that has to do with being given something first so that it can be conditional after it's given, so that control can be enacted. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. I guess that's true. 
But when you stop fearing loss, then you can find true freedom. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Waiting for a train, and I'm feeling as faded as my jeans. Bobby thumbed a diesel down just before it rained, and rode us all the way into New Orleans. I pulled my harpoon out of my dirty red bandana. I was playing soft while Bobby sang the blues. When she whopper slapping time, I was holding Bobby's hand in mine. We sang every song that Javi knew. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. Bobby, I